everybody, Luke McElroy from Mess Performance Consulting here, joined today with a special guest, Rico Rogers from Box Altitude. So, might not see Nick in the in the hot seat today, you've got me. So, um, what we're going to do today is basically talk about the benefits of altitude training as well as uh, sleeping at altitude. And we might even talk a little bit about uh, maybe the misconceptions of training at altitude for an hour or so every now and then, which we're not big on. Um, but rather than having anything pre-planned, we thought we'd just have an honest conversation um, and have a bit of back and forth between uh, somebody who knows exactly what he's talking about when it comes to altitude training and, and altitude in general. So welcome to the show, Rico. I might just start off with, give us a little bit of a background about box altitude, uh, maybe your background as well, and, and how box altitude came to be, um, and, and then who you focus on. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, I suppose we started really when I did a training camp in the French Alps yep. back in the day, and because I was riding full-time, I didn't really believe in just chatting or watching movies, I'd research exactly what I was doing and because I was at altitude I thought I'd research it and then when I didn't, or when I went back from the training camp I, kind of, I wanted to replicate what I was doing there and I also got blood tests before and during and after and, and I was kind of like well yeah you need to need to be doing it to to really get the most from it. You know. And where does box altitude come into the come into the picture so why did you start it and what, what gap in the market were you feeling when you decided I need to do box altitude um, well I suppose I'd, I'd used a couple of other systems from other companies and I just thought I could do it better um, yeah that was pretty much where it started and I think the I, I, I actually called one of the other companies and I was renting altitude tents at that point in time and just said oh you know I've got got X amount of renters I'd like to buy some more Nothing. They said something like, "Oh, actually, the price has gone up, and we can't give you a deal." Yeah. So, it's kind of like, well, I can probably research exactly how this works and why, and and so I just started from there. Then made a couple of prototypes, um, learned to sew, which was pretty, <laughs> pretty challenging. So yeah, no, it's, I just it was out of sheer. I could do this better. This is, I could be make this more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you what what systems do you offer for I'm going to be specific to begin with, with, with athletes. Well, an athlete wants to increase their, their hemoglobin mass, and we'll come into the benefits in a sec, but they want, to, they want to get adaptation from being at altitude. What, what are the options for them? So we, we have a, an entry-level tent. Well, we have an entry-level rental tent, which is, I think, 380 for every for two weeks to start off with, and then $100 after that. And then I think the single size altitude tent is three thousand three hundred, including GST and everything. Mm -hmm. And I, with that, has a system that can go up to around six thousand meters. Yep. Although we're not big fans of that at yep. all. Um, we sort of we take all of our prompts from AAS studies. We're not interested in reinventing what they've yep. already qualified and quantified. So yes, yeah, so we we try and get people to spend most of their time at 3,000 metres and build up to it. Cool. So when you say spend time at 3,000 metres, so your systems, correct me if I'm wrong, we've got a, uh, a basic system which it just covers, almost covers your pillow. Is that all like the, the front end of the bed? Yeah. And, and that, yeah. what does it do? So does it, does it take oxygen out? Does it pump nitrogen in? How does it simulate altitude? Yeah, it pumps a higher concentration of nitrogen than is in normal air. So I think we... Breathe, we're breathing at the moment about 78% nitrogen, 20.9% yep. oxygen yep. content. And a tiny bit of a CO2. 
argon and yeah, all sorts <laughs> uh, of other yeah. things. But yeah, it sort of increases the amount of nitrogen in the air. And these machines only do it down to a certain level, so it's completely safe. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, yeah, you can't hurt yourself within reason. Obviously, if you were to, you can't really. Hurt yeah, yourself. of course. And why would an athlete? Why would an athlete do this? So talk to me a little bit about the the benefits of sleeping at altitude, uh, and also maybe a protocol that you would use to see those benefits. Is it, does it work as a once-off? Does it have to be a repeated cycle? How? What are the benefits, and, and how do you achieve them? So. Typically what we encourage people to do is to build up and then the first 30 to 35 hours you kind of have the, the highest growth curve or the highest adaption curve um, and then after that you will find that it will keep going up but it won't be quite as quickly. You know? So the first three to four nights is probably the best for adaption okay. um, and then after that you will keep going up but I think the AIS say that you should spend 100 hours at 3,000 metres, um, whereas we're kind of more of a, our philosophy is more like, we want to make this as sustainable as possible, so you don't just want to be in there for mm -hmm. your block of 100 hours or however many are on at the moment, but just to make it so it's you're able to do it constantly. And the main benefit is the haemoglobin mass? Yeah, haemoglobin mass, hematocrit. Yep. You know, it's it's just like stress and release, isn't it? You know. Yeah. So um, for those playing at home, you, you would have probably watched a. I think it was a podcast we did on altitude a while ago, um, and and Rico's going to to probably correct some of the the, the some the way the way we work with our with our altitude episode is probably a little bit different. We always follow basic guidelines, which have been around for who knows how long. Um, and essentially what we what we recommend was, Nick, jump in if I'm wrong here, it was 3,000 metres for 10 hours a day yeah, ten, for uh, three weeks, something like that. Maybe it was two and a half, no, it was 2,200. 20, 20, 22 to 24. 22 to, tw I think it's 20, about 2,500 metres above sea level for 10 to 12 hours of continuous exposure, which is a long time, um, for three weeks. What protocol do you recommend? So you said bef you said before that that sometimes it's not manageable just to go straight to, to to really high altitude. What would you recommend as a protocol to maximise those haemoglobin hematocrit benefits that you would get so that you can increase your oxygen carrying capacity? Yeah, well, I suppose to manipulate it as quickly as possible. Yeah, you would go to three thousand, but realistically, I think most people a good starting point is probably fifteen hundred meters. Mm -hmm. So what you, what you got to realise is that every when you go into the hypoxic environment, your heart rate will increase anywhere from 5% to 15%. Yep. 5% is manageable when you're probably going to be quite comfortable at night. 15% mm -hmm. is tossing and turning. The tent gets hot. Um, it's just not a great scene. Yep. You know. Whereas if you can sustain it, and I think the AOS is like, do 10 hours a night, let's say. But for the majority of athletes or athletes and business people, it's just not possible. So if you take that over a longer time span, yeah, it's going to take you longer to acclimatise to altitude. You are certainly going to get great benefits, but you're probably not going to get the very top, top end. Yeah. But then again, to make it so you can recover properly, make it sustainable, arguably that's probably going to be more beneficial as well. So 
We so so the theory behind starting at a lower altitude is so you get better sleep quality. You don't affect recovery as much as if you were going higher because you'd be at, you'd be a higher yeah. heart rate, tossing and turning. Um, speaking of of recovery, let's say, is there any negative side effects of sleeping at altitude for a prolonged period? Well, I suppose your ferritin levels will drop slightly, but you'd probably be able to obviously monitor that and, and supplement with it. Um, no, the health benefits are pretty yeah. pretty well documented that they're quite significant and sustained. Um, the thing that I suppose the AIs have, haven't failed but haven't probably got the funding for is to, to do a long-term uh, study on the effects of live high, train low. Mm -hmm. So coming out of the system and then living normally and... but. Yeah, I think it's there's no point to not do it yep. full time. I remember speaking. I think it might actually be with Tyler. We were speaking about um, so your normal hemoglobin saturation just in a normal environment is somewhere around ninety eight percent saturation. That'd be a some, somewhere in the normal range. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is VSPO two. Yep, yeah, just for normal. So like right now we would be expected to be ninety eight, ninety nine. We should be right up there. Yeah. Um, going altitude, you're going to drop that down to depends, but probably high eighties would be about right. So somewhere around that mark. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, everyone's really different. Yep, okay. Yeah, okay. We've, because we've obviously got quite a lot of people using the system, we do SpO2 monitoring throughout the nights as well. So, yeah, some people, they drop quite low. But, yep. like, it's all altitude dependent. One, one guy <laughs> that we did a whole bedroom for um, just turned it up full noise, you know? Okay. Just like, just like rolling the dice, see what would happen. Yep. His, his results are really interesting, actually. This is, like, from not doing any, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah, his results are really interesting. His heart rate was quite low, actually. Mm -hmm. Okay. He, slept, he didn't sleep too badly, which is really surprised with. Before he passed out. Yeah. Probably unconscious, yeah. His um, SpO2 was really quite low. It wasn't dangerous, but it was, like, the first conversation I had with him was, like, ooh, listen, ooh, ooh. Under 85? Oh, well under. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're talking <laughs> like... Yeah. 70s? Yeah. Average. Slow, yeah. Yeah, it's just like... Like, I'm kind of freaking out myself. I'm like, listen, you got to curb this. this yeah. This isn't sustainable. What you're doing is actually kind of detrimental to your health. And, like, he did listen to us and he kind of... But we sort of fight that sort of thing all the time as well. How do you measure it? Are you just using, using a, the finger? It's actually a wearable that you can get. Okay. Um, Garmin produced this wearable called Vivo Smart 4. Yep, heard that, yep. And it is, it's really great. Yeah, cool. It, it's such a, it's such a perfect tool for us. Yep. Yeah. And on that, so he gets, uh, let's say normal people somewhere probably low, mid, high 80s, anyway, even, even using the 70 something example. Let's put a figure of 88 on Let's it. say 88. All right, so we want to get back up to 98 to be normally functioning once we get out of there. How long does it take to come back to normal levels? So from 88 back to normal 98, 99 saturation. Oh, I'm thinking of the effect of maybe morning training. You wake up, I've got oh, to go do a session. We're talking a minute. A minute, yep. Maybe two minutes. Yep. And then on top of that, because normally when you go, let's say, into a hypoxic environment or come out of one, what generally happens, it's all sort of indicators. From what, from what I can understand, it's indicators that are based in your brain. So if your brain has got less SpO2 concentration, your heart rate will increase. Yep. But, but there's a bit of a fluctuation in a time when things are sort of playing around, you know. So you go into the hypoxic environment, <clears throat> your SpO2 will drop, your heart rate will be like, oh, oh, we don't know what's happening here, let's put the heart rate up. 
and then it'll sort of balance out and take a while to do that. Let's say it's five minutes. Yeah. It's the same when you get up in the morning. You yeah. Know? So your sort of heart rate varies around them and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then finds it's but it it takes no time at all. And then on top of that, it runs so high, like it'd be ninety nine for quite some time after it. Yeah. Yeah. So so long as you're sleeping fine, there really shouldn't be any negative side effects. So it should all be all be positive from a, a hemoglobin hematocrit perspective. So. Yeah. So it's so, like like what I used to say with EPO, wasn't it? Like yeah. The negative side of EPO was that there was more wind going past your ears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So on that, I'm not going to specifically talk about EPO, but um, so obviously altitude training and or sleeping at altitude is a, a legal, it's fine, like it's, a, it's a legal performance enhancer. Um, do you want to touch on the differences between maybe altitude training and potentially using an illegal substance such as EPO? Why, why do you think, I want to say why I think, talk, talking about hematocrit, what, what's the normal range of hematocrit? And what is the limitation for, for something like a, a, an instrument like box altitude? Where, where's the limit? How much can you expect to improve? Is, there, is it possible to go into illegal hematocrit levels by using a natural thing such as box altitude? Yeah, yeah. It is sure. possible? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, Lance actually quite, said it quite well, Armstrong. He said that he could have actually achieved the same sort of uh, physiological adaptions using altitude tent, and and I I looked at it at the time and I was you know I was, I cried this is bullshit it's not, it's not possible <laughs> yeah but actually when you when you do look through all of the data and that sort of thing um, yeah no that's completely possible do you know what his numbers were I'd have to look it up actually with the cycling news article I think I posted something saying well actually yeah he yeah he could have done he could have achieved that and actually we've seen. From, this is just from memory. Yeah, yep. I think we had seen better numbers come across our desk. Okay, like in the days previous. Because it's about fifty-two percent hematocrit. At least it used to be. It might have changed. But what I'm saying was fifty-two percent is like the upper limit. You're above that, and you're doping or suspected of doping 50, at least. Fifty percent was always the okay. sort of the cutoff. Like they used to have hematocrit testers in the cars, didn't they? In the team cars. Yeah. And so you'd take your supposedly you take your blood at the, before the race, and if you're over fifty, you'd basically ride home to the hotel or whatever. Yeah, you right. Know? How does hydration affect it? So if you dehydrate, is that going to increase your hematocrit? Massively. So we yeah. we have a protocol that we encourage people to follow with that as well, because hydration level is so key to performance. Yeah, of course. If you're dehydrated, you might as well just pack your bike up or your running shoes up. Yep. You know, and if you don't have any interest in drinking or being well hydrated, it's the first marker of a quality lifestyle really you know so yeah so we we try and get people to drink sort of 800 mils before they leave the house in the morning yep slightly salted as well mm -hmm. because it binds to the blood particles more yep efficiently and then another 800 mils by 2 p.m yeah nice yeah just because we want want it to all absorb and you pee out anything you need to before you even go to bed mm -hmm. so i suppose what we've done in the last wee while has been researching sleep quality and how yep how our systems can improve or and yeah just trying to follow those markers and prompts about how how people or athletes can get the most from it mm. because at the end of the day if you if you're a really good sleeper it's almost like a performance enhancer right there like yeah of course and so if we can match up somewhere there then and that's why we've pushed so heavily into doing full bedroom mm -hmm. conversions and we've got a new 
full-size tent that is replicating all of that. Yep. So it's silent, um, goes up to sort of 3,000 metres. Um, the, the most, the best thing is the silence, really. It, it's really quite cool. Yeah. It's sustainable. As you said, it's sustainable. You can, you can, you, if you wanted to, you could sleep in it all year round. Is that what you reckon? If you had a, a bedroom, would you sleep in it all year round, or would you cycle it on and off in terms of for the maximum benefit? Oh yeah, I mean we cycle ours. Yep. Um, actually, at the moment we've been testing that full size one. Yep. Um, and been renovating a house in that new bedroom. I suppose it's the it's quite big and it's an altitude bedroom and. We'll run that periodically. We'll go up, 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 and then pair back, and then go, go and do the same. So just on that, so talk to me about the the Airbnb sort of style business model you're going down for for altitude rooms. Like, well, what's the idea? Is it so they come for a training camp and they stay for a week or two weeks, or how does how does that that idea work? So I think the they're aiming at starting at sort of four nights as a minimum. Yep. Which is really great for us because those first. You said that's when they get the most benefit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep. Which, that's a really great start. But we, we're we actually pushing the health and well-being aspect hard with that. Mm-hmm. Although we think that, obviously, cyclists and triathletes and runners are going to get great um, use out of it for, for their partners. I think they'll be quite yeah. surprised at how big a change or big a jump in, in health and well-being you'll actually receive. Because of the benefits for... Normal people are probably a hell of a lot more than for yeah. cyclists and athletes. And what, what benefit do you think you could expect from say that only those three or four nights? How much of the benefit would you get initially? And out, out of the the, the top ceiling of the, you're not going to change anymore, you've hit a plateau. Yeah. How much benefit are you going to get in that first three or four nights compared to three weeks down the track or, or six weeks down the track? I think that actually after those first thirty hours, I think you have like a four or three point eight percent boost in your anaerobic capacity or threshold That's aerobic like anaerobic anaerobic oh it's the anaerobic threshold yeah so you lactate inflection point lactate threshold yep whatever you go yep yeah so it's like that's yeah yeah that first bump is quite quite worthwhile mm. but that's all sort of yeah it's different sort of mechanism from actually changing a hemoglobin and hematocrit so that won't change your hemoglobin too much in the first no i think hours? i think the first sort of it takes a little bit longer than that, but what that is is probably the DPG. Yep. So that's sort of the enzyme that tells your body how much oxygen to absorb, which okay. gets triggered gets triggered a lot by altitude training spaces, which is pretty handy. So is that a, is that a mitochondrial thing? Yeah. Well, also, it, it, yeah. Well, it would be. Yeah. Yeah. But also, that's pretty that's pretty handy. I mean, we absorb eight percent, but we can go up to thirty percent, and mm. so. The someone, the long and short of it is, if you can increase that, then it is like, they used to have this drug I think it was called EPO for a day, mm-hmm. and it would just bump that up like way up. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so it just raises all those levels up. Yeah. So. And how long would you expect those benefits to last for? Probably the thirty hours is probably a shorter half life. I would have thought. I'm just sort of I've yeah, yeah, studies about this. That's actually. fine. Yeah, no ballpark's good. But. But there's a, you know, I'll send you the link as well. Mm-hmm. There's a study and it said that the the effects of altitude training last about 120 days as well. Nice. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's worthwhile, and then that's probably why why you could afford to cycle it because there's no if you're going to have those benefits for such a long time. Yeah, you, know, you can. No, I'm, I'm sure. I imagine there's no negatives to keeping it on all the time, but if you well, not power bill, it. yeah, power bill. Yeah, that's probably. Um, but I think, but even if you were to let's say do a maintenance period of eight hours a week, um, and just touch that up, there's there's quite a bit of AIS data that says that that'll actually continue to spike your. Mm. Um, EPO production as well. Yeah, which is essentially because I suppose with our side of it, we sort of see these teams that or these athletes are away more often than they're not. So it's getting getting that maintenance period in there as well, so that when they do go and do a decent block at home, yeah, um, that will really, really go. Yeah, yeah, cool. And maybe just touching quickly on you mentioned how, you know having an altitude bedroom is is beneficial for sustainability and also you can get your partner involved or whoever it is and, and, and they experience benefits as well. Is there anything nutritionally we need to take into account in terms of if we're creating more haemoglobin, in theory we would need more protein and iron? Is that something that we need to consider? Yeah, for sure. Yep. We we steer clear of telling people if they should take iron supplements, mm -hmm. but I'm certainly a big fan of getting it tested and making sure that you have got enough of it. Anyone that really really has a high haemoglobin and hematocrit has a high um, ferritin or iron level mm -hmm. like there's no yeah it goes hand in hand yeah of course it's what creates it yeah, yeah. and so I, I used to take iron B I used to take a handful of things yep. and, and then I'd take vitamin C as well just because it helped absorption yeah and I'd have coffee because yep. why wouldn't you because everyone does <laughs> yeah yeah but it helps all of that stuff absorb yeah. and that yep. sort of thing so yeah, I, you know, like it'd be good to have a health professional that you could actually refer to and sure. and be like, your doctor's probably got the knowledge, but a lot of them are not very good. I've found mm. not very knowledgeable. It's a very specific area. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The guys at the VIS are, are knowledgeable. Okay. actually. Yeah, like they're really quite clever. They read all the studies and yeah, yeah. Which department specifically? Uh, actually, I'm meeting with one of the guys tomorrow, Nick oh, Owen. And then yeah, Harry I think Brennan. I did meet him briefly. Yeah, yeah, they're just they're just clever. They're into it. The yeah. you know the, their wealth of knowledge is really it's amazing to have such a good um, centre like that, so mm -hmm. local in some ways. Yeah, mm. yeah, for sure, awesome. And um, we mentioned that we can increase our hematocrit, our hemoglobin concentration. Uh, upper limit is about six ish, six and a half, seven percent. Is that about? Does that sound about right? What's that for? For hemoglobin mass? Yeah, 6.7 6 at 19 nights at um, 3,000 metres. Yep. Which is about 14% oxygen content. And what can we expect in terms of a performance benefit from that? Yeah, so now forward to that, uh, that study, mm -hmm. I think it was like, I think the range was, just from memory, yeah, 4.64 4. up to 7.4. Like just from memory, so it's like, so that, sorry, your, your, your VO2 max follows your hemoglobin mass by that calculation. Yeah, okay. So yeah. if we, because I think you mentioned, was it, so if we had like a, let's say we had a, a six and a half, just for example, six and a half percent increase in our hemoglobin mass, um, was it point eight? You times that by point eight to get a to get a VO two. Yeah. So right, which then is going to be different for performance. Like you get a, there's a lot of calculations, but yeah, yeah. So. If you were to, let's say, let's say you do a really rough calculation that's about 5.2% mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Six, six and a half times 0.8 is, yeah, say 5% yeah. increase in VO2, which is pretty, as it's for doing nothing, just for sleeping in, in a tent, essentially. That's a, a pretty big increase in your, in your oxygen consumption. And then, in theory, that would follow on to performance so long as your economy and hydration. All the other factors of performance stay consistent. Um, I think I read somewhere 3% performance improvement. And that probably sounds a about right if you've got about a five-ish percent yeah. VO2 it's not going to be all related to performance but probably somewhere ballpark for you yeah three or four percent for doing nothing is, is probably better right. yeah there's lost so many different takeouts of course it? so because like a lot of these studies seem to refer to um, pure uh, time mm-hmm. whereas you know like let's say it's a dead flat road it's straight there's no undulations because you obviously reduce your um, weight as well yeah which is really great. And so for most athletes, it's pretty positive. You lose a little bit of weight as well. well you increase your metabolism, wouldn't you? You have to. Yeah. Heart rates up and all, all the rest. Body's working harder. Yep. Yeah. And so for, for everyday people, and this is the, the one that's most challenging for us, is because the athletes are always sold on it. They're always like, yeah, of course. It's going to get me going places further faster. Yeah. Whereas the partners are more like, oh, you know, I can't be bothered sleeping at altitude and it's not really. But whereas, the, you know, there's so many benefits benefits for them you know lo- literally losing weight while you sleep yeah increasing the amount of things you can do during during the day like it's just economy heart rate efficiency le- less heart rate heart disease mm. i've seen you that i've seen you that yeah um, sure. we've got for everyday people yeah. and we'll, we'll link out all these studies below as well assuming you're happy with that we'll link them all below so people who are interested in this stuff um, can have a have a further look into it as well um just quickly you might not know the exact numbers but the increase in metabolism while sleeping at altitude, how much are we talking? We're talking like 5%? We're talking 30%? I can't... I haven't read a study with it, actually. Yeah, I mean, it would happen. It makes sense. Your heart rate's high, your body's working harder. Um, yeah, but then also on, let's say, post-altitude, let's yep. say these people that are going to go for this wellness retreat and bright. Yep. Post it, because people normally, their walking rate depends on their respiration rate. Yep. More or less, mm-hmm. you know. Obviously, you're not going to really stride it out, but because you're walking quicker, because your respiration rate is less, because your body's more efficient, mm-hmm. then you're also burning more calories as well post altitude training, or altitude yeah. sleeping. But it's like, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty like. It's like a cyclist. You know, if you're going to have race wheels, you're going to wear them or use them. Yeah, it's like that with an altitude system. Yep. If you have it, you're definitely going to use it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I think the things that have been limiting factor in the past is the the uncomfortability of it. Yep. And addressing that is probably the most important thing. Yep. You know, and then get metrics around it. I think all of the metrics are there if you want to read them. Mm-hmm. But people don't want to read these days. They want glossy pictures that they can take out snapshots from. And they, it's like... Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's a, to me it's a no-brainer. I think a lot of, a lot of our audience who are, are very um, numbers-orientated, they love the data, would really get around something like uh, a, a box altitude system. So just to summarise briefly what we've spoken about today, um, the, benefits, the main benefits of altitude come from sleeping in there for prolonged periods but adapting bit by bit. It's not, not much benefit by going out and doing a one-hour session because you're not exposed for long enough at a time to see those big benefits. Um, there's many options, which are, and from a different variety of uh, of prices, from just a basic, co- essentially cover your pillow to creating a, a full bedroom. Yeah. And, and not only is there performance benefit, but guaranteed performance benefits in in this. You know, looking at six and a half percent hemoglobin, five percent VO two. 
Um, your partners will benefit from losing weight and all the rest as well. So, well, increasing metabolism, which may, which may lead to uh, weight loss and all the rest. So really there's no downside to it in my view. Um, you're gonna see some, some pretty significant benefits. If anybody is interested in looking into your systems, where can they go to find out more information? Just our, our website, Box Altitude. But then again, like I'm, I'm an advocate for all of Altitude systems, like not yeah, just course. ours. Yeah, like, the, the benefits are the benefits, yeah. Yeah, like obviously I want people to purchase, but just to actually get the conversation going about why you would and how and yeah, so any, any company's system would be good to try and, and give it a go. And then if they need, even if they need more information, even about using other companies' systems, I'm quite happy to hand that out as well. Yeah, perfect. We'll, um, we'll post all Rico's details below if you want to reach out, by all means. Um, anything to add, gentlemen, back, good, good? Anything to anything we haven't covered that you think's worthwhile touching on? Um, no, I think that's probably it. Yep. Yeah, awesome. like, well, we'll have a bit, of, a bit more of a chat offline. Um, we'll keep it where it is. It's probably about the 30-minute mark. So. Thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you found that useful and we'll speak to you again in the next episode.